Hi guys, and welcome to another edition of the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, as always, and yeah, um, a couple of cards to talk about. Probably talk about two fights from each. I'm going to talk about um, Derek Chisora versus Kubrat Pulev, which turned out into, you know, every bit of the uh, sloppy, a little bit dirty, quite a lot dirty, if I'm honest, um, heavyweight, you know, knockabout fest that I hoped it would be. And um, I want to talk about, you know, it's not too much to say, but um, Israel Madrimov versus um, Michelle Soro. Um, I may talk briefly about um, Kieran Agiako, um and his, you know, his move down to one five four. Just you know, he's a kind of he's quite an interesting fighter, and you know, it's kind of relevant um, given that Amadrimov fought as well, same division. I won't go too in depth into that, but I'll talk a little bit about him, um, and then I'll move on to the other card, the card in uh, Texas. Um, you know, headlined by Vargas Ray Vargas versus um, Max Hayo. And um, supported by Brandon Figueroa versus, for fuck's sake, Brandon Figueroa versus Carlos Castro. And um, I will also briefly mention Frank Martin versus Jackson Marinez. Um, yeah, let's get on with it, you know. No further ado, a few things to cover. Let's get cracking. So Derek Chisora versus Kubrat Pulev. Um, you know, the first fight. Um, a few years ago was a fairly clear win for Pulev and I mean my what I said in the build up was I would hope that uh, not hope but um, well hope in the sense of the fight you know I'm not hoping for Pulev to go oh, it wouldn't have been much of a fight if he wasn't hadn't aged a bit and he's older than Chisora in you know actual years um, that year miles on the clock Chisora's been around the world compared to him but um, but yeah I think some of what we got happened because um because Pulev's got old. Some of it was because Pulev I think he did genuinely get Shizora did genuinely get into his head. And some of it was because the referee let more go than he would have otherwise done. But um I will say because um you know there have been um, there has been talk about um how much Chisora was doing that was illegal and the rabbit punches and that was coming from both of them. I think the referee was a bit unfair there because he warned Pulev a lot more than Chisora for the rabbit punches. I think, you know, they were both guilty in that sense. Um, there was also some talk about hitting and holding. And, you, yeah, you could argue that Chisora was hitting and holding. Like, a, a lot of the rib roasting was happening sort of while holding. But I would argue that a lot of the time... In that respect, if you've seen the fight, I would argue that Pulev was doing the holding and Chisora was going, okay, you're going to hold me on this side, I'm going to hit you on this side. Um, so I think that's why the ref let it go. And there will have been times when Chisora was doing the one grabbing, like there were times when Chisora was the one grabbing the one hand and hitting with the other. But I think largely it was a case of, um, yeah, he was being sneaky because he was doing it on the blind side of the referee. Um, but, uh, but I think Pulev can't really argue too much if he ties up but ties up so incompetent you know if he's tying up specifically this goes back to what I was saying last week uh, I think it was about uh, knowing how to fight in the clinch um, if you're just going to tie up and your opponent is free to hit you um, that's really on you like, to be honest that's your fault um, and yeah the referee would be within his rights to say like okay that's hitting while holding but, um, but he's also I think within his rights to say you're holding you're getting hit you deal with it so that's, that's just one thing I wanted to get out of the way before the start. Um, yeah, the fight was... I saw people bitching about it on Twitter from the start. And, uh, weirdly, because I was spent most of the time um, in the bad left comments talking about it there. So um, our 
interpretation of it in there was much more excitable from the beginning. I think most people on Twitter sort of came around to it by the end. Um, because yes, it was an ugly mess of a fight. It wasn't pretty by any means. And if that's what you're looking for, um, you know, that's not what you're going to find here. And it also wasn't, um, you know, a constant back and forth war of punches. Um, but it was constantly moving and there was constantly punching happening. You know, it wasn't slow or anything. And it was just, yeah, it was just entertaining for me. Uh, the thing is, it, you know, Derek Chisora is, he's a character in, you know, he, if you wrote someone like him, you wouldn't believe it. Um, you know, he's he's a big personality, and that you know, out of the ring, that gets him in trouble. Uh, in the ring, it also gets him in trouble, but it also gets him. You know, he doesn't ever give up. He's you know, you talk about fighters with heart. Um, just all of these days, he gasses pretty much always gasses within you know three or four rounds. He's running on fumes after that, but he never ever stops. He never stops trying, and opponents. Opponents just get discomforted by it because they know he's tired. Like um, last time, I gave um, I gave Joseph Parker grief for not chasing in after you know he was f- you could, he was staggering onto the ropes and Parker didn't chase in. And after this fight, I was like, um, you know, um, maybe I have to give Parker some apology for snagging him off like that because you know again, Chisora gassed after round three or four. He was running on fumes, he was staggering. Um, but even then, even in round 12, after doing that, doing that for ages, you know, rounds 11 and 12, um, he'd go he'd go to take his rest on the ropes and uh, and um, Pulev would approach him, he'd start countering him, hitting him in the ribs, and, you know, he was losing some of those exchanges, winning others. Um, but uh, the, you know, the energy and just the willpower to pick his spots and, and get going. Um, you know, since this is the Fight Site Watson podcast, we should talk a little about the pad technique. Um, Derek Chisora, he doesn't really lend himself to that. And Pulev is a very bread and butter fighter. Chisora is a, is an interesting one to watch because he does a lot of stuff. Um, and in this fight, he was, you know, even trying, you know, all sorts of defences. He had a lot of head movement going on. Some of it was illegal, you know, going too low. Some of it wasn't. He had all sorts of active guards going on and all of that kind of stuff. And the thing is, Right. It's one of those where I wouldn't say necessarily that Chizora understood specifically what each thing he was doing is for, if you get my meaning. Like he wasn't, you know, he'd come in with a cross arm guard or he'd come in with a, he'd come in shelling up with a shoulder roll. And, you know, sometimes I talk about, you know, the uses of these things. And he wasn't using the shoulder roll to set anything up specifically. And he wasn't using the cross arm guard to counter anything specific Pula was doing. But I think, it, you know, I think Chisora understands that he doesn't know that, you know, that they aren't built into his game like that. Like, I think Chisora knows full well who he is as a fighter. And he's just changing up constantly just to confuse, confuse Pulev a bit. And, you know, if you're going to be an elite, elite fighter, don't do that. But Derek Chisora, he's at the end of his career. He needs to get through the fights however he can. Um, yeah, it was just... You know, I wouldn't call it necessarily sensible, but in those circumstances, it was probably the right thing to do. It did confuse Pulev, who, like I say, he's a bread and butter fighter, and which by which I mean, you know, he jabs well enough, he counters well enough, he he can box behind his jab well, he has a high guard, you know, all of that, all of that, you know, meat and potatoes, basic stuff. Um, he doesn't have too many adjustments in his um in his locker, and I would say that um in this instance, his um. His age, 
it'd catch up to him in that sense because you know what adjustments he can make because he's got such a you know one his style is sort of one way um the adjustments he can make or could make were with timing and you know little variations on that and that's harder to do when you get slower because you can't speed the timing up as much you just can't speed up your pace and i think he struggled with that um and yeah chisora you know it was a weird thing to see chisora wasn't some you know probably the faster guy um yeah chisora's tactics very much hinged on being allowed to clinch and work in the clinch um and this is going to come up a few times tonight um Pulev kind of knew what he was doing but didn't really he didn't really know how to stop Chisora hitting in the clinch um, and that ultimately I think is what won the fight and it's what um, you know it, it's what won the fight on points like just in the literal sense I mean I scored at 6-6 six, six. I can't remember which round I scored which way but, um, but I ended up with 6-6 six, six. but it was such a wild fight it could have gone either way and you know in many different you could have scored many different rounds many different ways um, you know, I did think the the two scores of four rounds in each direction were wide, but because all of the fight, all the rounds were so massively close, you know, I couldn't say any of them, any of that was wrong. Um, and you know, I was happy for Chisora to win. He's at the stage where he he hasn't got a lot left. He said so after the fight. Um, so kind of, he was kind of celebrating himself almost, um, not in an arrogant way, just in a full full recognition that he's coming to the end of his line um, he had his family with him for the first time which was his kids at least with him for the first time which must have been emotional and yeah his whole post fight interview was about you know I know I'm coming down to the end of it and uh, I need to make my make, well I need to make my peace with that and I need to make my money which was you know he called out Deontay Wilder he also told Eddie if you don't pay me I'll go somewhere else um, Eddie Hearn that is um, you know those are aside it was just you know it's difficult to say too much because it was such a sloppy fight. Like it's not, you know, on a technical level, it's not uninteresting to watch. You wouldn't teach people to fight like Derek Chisora. Um You would sort of teach people to fight like um, like Pulev, but uh, um, you know, you would pick other people to choose as the template to fight like that. If you know what I'm saying, you know, he's reasonably good at what he does. He's not a you know, he was never an elite heavyweight. Neither of these people, neither of these fighters were. But yeah, but Chisora is, you know, Chisora is the more interesting of the two on a technical technical level, even if he's, a, you know, much scrappier and, uh, and you know, he, in his in his heyday, he was never as good a boxer as Pulev. Um, now he's he's aging better. He's, you know, he's popular for a reason. Um, and I said this last time before, or possibly the time before, um, it's incredible that a guy who looked washed you know, 10, 12 years ago, is still doing what he is now. And I will say this, because I talk about, you know, it's incredible with the heart and the um, the determination that Chisora fights after he's gassed out, but it is also a case of very smart energy management. It's not particularly subtle, um, but it is very, you know, will, he will deliberately give up rounds and just protect himself. Um, so he can save his energy to win another round later rather than, you know, losing two rounds sort of more narrowly but clearly. Um, and he will pick his spots very much. And yeah, he was very much, he was very clearly targeting the body of Pulev to slow Pulev down a bit to try to make up for the fact that he knows he's going to slow down. Like he, you know, he knows he himself, Chisora knows he himself isn't going to be able to keep up with the pace for the whole fight if the energy drain is sort of equal 
from you know, if the attrition is sort of equal. So he tried to make it incredibly attritional, working the body really, really, like from early on, um, from straight away, um, stone cooler down. And, you know, it worked for him. It was just a big, stoppy, fun, heavyweight uh, slugfest. And, yeah, I would, you know, I, I don't know if you have to catch up on it. It's not an all-time classic. But uh, I will basically watch Chisora whenever he turns out because... He's rarely in a boring fight. Um, yeah, the other, the co-main on this card was Madrimov versus um, Sorrow, the rematch, because of the controversial ending in the first one. And we got another slightly controversial, equally disappointing, I would say not quite as controversial ending. Um, let's talk about what happened in the fight first, because um, I had been, in my preview, uh, I did mention, and if you listen to the last time I reviewed the first fight, um, that um, I have a problem, or I, ha- I have had a problem with the way Madrimov closes distance, um, in that I always did think it was it was very jab jab lean. He uh, he doesn't have, or he didn't have ways of. He's good outboxer, and he's a good, very good in, uh, good inside boxer, and his closing distance between them was poor, I would say. And in this fight, the difference between this fight and the last fight was very notable. Um, uh, basically what I said last time was that uh, it looks like Madrimov has been aware of the problem but what he's doing are workarounds and not fixes what he did this time was a fix he jab- he was jabbing and stepping in behind the jab like as he was jabbing he was moving it wasn't jab jab lean it was jab step in jab step in and he was coming in behind the jab and then working the body and you know working upstairs downstairs all of that good stuff um, but very patiently and he wasn't rushing his he wasn't rushing his movements he wasn't rushing his jab so because of that he was able to move behind his jab which ultimately made him more efficient and quicker despite you know not slapping his jab up maybe as much it was quite Golovkin-esque you know people made this comment watching it live it was it was quite Golovkin-esque I think that was clear influence um Taylor mentioned it probably helped uh seeing Bivo um in the camp I believe they were in the same camp that's probably true um, you know these guys; they do influence each other when they see each other. But yeah, it was just a—it's just a very much a case of um, of Madrimov having, at this point, very clearly learned a lesson. And while we, we, it does help that he was fighting the same guy again, and a guy who's been around for a long time, so you know, you know, you can study and know his little intricacies, and then apply what you were doing. You know, it's it's a little easier rematching a guy. Here, there is loads of footage of. We will see how this works against against someone he's not rematching, against someone he has to learn from fresh. But um, but I am I was get sort of uh, vaccinating a little. You know, I was always high on Madrimov, but there was a point when I was kind of going, you know, I'm not sure where quite where his ceiling is. And now I'm, you know, I'm not going to jump in and say, okay, he's going to be a pound for pound king just yet. But I'm happier now than I have been at any point in the last couple of years really seeing that performance. The ending. The ending was disappointing because it was a big ass cut. Um, after two rounds, um, well, it was, the cut occurred right at the beginning of the third round and it stopped, the fight was stopped you know, straight away. It was, um, the ref broke him immediately, he was led to the corner, the doctor looked at it, looked at it and just stopped it. And the thing is, um, the design, I had it on German commentary, but um, you got the in-between fights bits with 
the British design commentators. And Hay and Belly were both like, okay, it should have carried on. You look at it, Soro standing there, when the result was read, the technical draw, um, which I think is a British Boxing Board of Control quibble instead of it being a no contest. Um, you know, they have slightly different rules to America and other organisations. I'm not sure, though. In any case, it scored a technical draw. Um, yeah, they were saying, yeah, they look at that. It could have carried on. It doesn't look that bad. But when he saw him being led back to the corner after the headbutt, it was fucking spraying. It was leaking everywhere. And, you know, I cannot blame the doctor for not thinking that that, that could be stopped immediately. It was like a one, one clash opened this big gash. It wasn't that it was opened up further by any targeting. It was straight away a massive split over, over the eye, over the eyebrow. Um, at the corner of his eye, it would have been leaking into his eye throughout the fight. Um, yeah, I can't blame the doctor for stopping it. It's disappointing, and you know, when you look at it later, you might you do think, okay, maybe they could um, sort of dealt with it and carried on, but uh, but it would have been bad, um, and I can't blame them. Um, yeah, and this time, because the first time it was a, you know, I don't blame Madrimov, but it was a thing that he did, um, punching after the bell. You know, he didn't hit the bell, neither did the ref. Actually, good, a very good shout by. Um, I think it was David Hay um, be, um, be, be, before the fight um, before or after the fight doesn't really matter um, pointing out that the referees should have earpieces it was either Hay or Belly who said it the referees should have earpieces um, so that they can hear the timekeeper no matter what the crowd noise is and I think that's a very good idea obviously you know small hall local shows in certain places aren't going to be able to afford that but um Certainly for international broadcast, you'd hope so. Um, and yeah, I think that should be very doable and uh, would prevent shit like that happening. But in any case, in this in this instance, it was Sorrow who did it. Um, you know, it wasn't on purpose or anything. I don't think he was trying to headbutt him. And certainly I saw some suggestions that, uh, that he knew he was getting out box and took that as a way out, which I think is always, you know, why, if you are going to take a way out, why would you blow your own face open to do it? You know, um, but... Uh, but yeah, Madrimov was coming in perfectly legally with his head down, his head tucked, but perfectly legally. Soro is a bit taller. For whatever reason, he tried to bring his head down on top of um, on top of Madrimov's head. You know, I don't know if he anticipated Madrimov's head not being there for some reason. But, um, but yeah, he fully just headbutted the top of Madrimov's head. Um, it was completely everything about that was his move. So he can't be, you know, he can't be sour about that, the way that ended this time. Um, but it was a technical draw, so it goes down, you know, as an eliminator, it didn't do its job. Um, but it would be weird to order a third one, considering that uh, Madrimov had taken over in the second fight, uh, in the first fight, in the second half of the first fight, and but in this fight, he was just dominant from the start, and like, he was kicking his ass. So, I don't want to see it again. It would just be a waste of time. But... Um, and um, Scott Crystal had a look because you know I, I got to, I got to acknowledge my influences. Um, he said pretty much exactly the same thing. It would be weird to give Madrimov the title shot on the basis of an eliminator where one he won on a completely unfairly and the second one he didn't win. It would be weird. So maybe they can find another fight for Madrimov in the meantime. Make that another eliminator. Hopefully that works. And then they can move on. Like the thing about this division is, it's I don't know what the um, I think it's a WBA. I'm very bad at keeping track of who's got what belt, but um, you know, it doesn't really matter. This division is so stacked that they should have no shortage of perfectly good eliminators. You know, perfectly good fights to use as eliminators for Madrimov. They want to fight another one. Like, there's there should be no problem there. It's a stacked division. Um, so I hope to see that. Um, you know, Soro is kind of. 
he will be disappointed because um, for him this is sort of a last chance at being you know, relevant at world level. But I think between them the fight's proved that uh, it's probably beyond him now, so, so he can't complain too much. In any case, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's that. The other fight on the card of uh, interest to me um, was uh, Kima Nagyako against um, Wukash Machets. And um, yeah, Nagyako's an interesting fighter. He does a lot of stuff, um, some of it good, some of it bad. He wasn't middleweight before, and he's moved to 154 to you know have a bit of a bulk advantage, um, maybe. He just feels, you know, see how he feels at this weight. Apparently he felt good cutting, um, had no problems making the way, so he'll stay here. But it's a little weird one, because, um, yeah, he had, he will enjoy more size advantage over more people. But um, in terms of upcoming talent, this division is way more stacked um, than that one. And, you know, in midway, I could see him maybe winning a world title um, as the champion sort of age out, uh, move on. I could see him winning title. Then. You know, I don't want to be disrespectful to him. But... Uh, at 154, it's just going to be, he's going to have to improve more. He's, he does improve from fight to fight, I would say, so I don't want to write him off completely. Um, but he still... He has an issue with um, handling range. Um, that the issue kind of changes, that what his problem has been has kind of changed down the years, but I think the fundamental problem that he just doesn't judge range particularly well maybe i don't know um yeah but essentially he always has a he, he has a problem uh using his defense as using range as his defense um early on it was sort of um yeah he would just be constantly getting tagged he was just he was using just range as the defense like back in the day back in the day a couple of years ago he was just using distance as a defense and he wasn't very good at judging distance so he'd get tagged now he's been working on it um and also he has been working on being more aggressive he holds his feet much more um, which i think is a positive development for him as an aggressor but it does make his defense more difficult he has been working very hard on it he has much more about his defense but he does have an issue um i felt a little bit smug because i said pretty early on that um I mean, he's static in general. Um, he tends to move nowadays with his head rather than his feet. He does hop backwards. You know, he doesn't just stand there completely. Um, but, you know, he tries to slip, duck and guard. And he doesn't do that too badly for most of the time. He's a little open to right hands, but he can ride those right hands. Um, the left hands are a problem. Um, from You know, and I said this pretty early on. Um, he's very static in the face of left hands. If he can get his hand up, if he can get his right hand up, fast enough he can kind of block it but often you know, he has to use that hand to fight so he can't just keep it pinned to the right side of his face and if his hand isn't in position he will just be watching punches sailing at him and he doesn't have for whatever reason something about his stance um, you know it's just not quite set right he can't slip punches properly that are coming from his right um, you know, especially sort of hooky, loopy over overhands. Um, he just freezes in the face of them. He can't come under them. Um, he can't ride away from them. And because he's got nowhere to move, they catch him solid. And yeah, I said this after round one, I think it was. Um, and in round, well, towards the end, I think it was round nine, but toward, it might have been round ten. Um, 
it got caught very solid and just really clearly hurt by exactly that thing. Um, the right hand sort of a concern for him as well, but like I say, he moves with them. You know, and some fighters do, especially with when you're using a shoulder arm, you know, shoulder forward stance, not necessarily shoulder arm, but shoulder forward stance. Um, sometimes, you know, ideally you wouldn't get hit at all, but um, a lot of fighters do sort of give up being giving up sort of riding with um, hands coming over the top of that shoulder and moving with them um, for being harder to hit everywhere else like you can move with them take the sting of them that gives you better defense against everything else but in his case when the punch comes from the other direction he's just got nothing to do so he needs to work something out um, but other than that i like him um he's a great uh, but i do think i did say this at the end of the fight he possibly would be better just committing full ball to being a pressure fighter to just coming forward because his offense is really nice. Um, like I really like the way he comes forward. Uh, I like the way he picks his punches. I like the way he he mixes them up. He's got a good big arsenal of punches and um, good variety, and he varies the timing and all of that very nicely. He's an exciting fighter to watch, um, and but he's better being a pressure fighter than being a what I think has been his thing in the past. I think he may be in the process of transition, so we'll see how this turns out. And he may turn out better than I'm saying now. Um, but yeah, he seems to have sort of a natural tendency to be sort of an outboxer, counterpuncher, one punch at a time, but a mentally. But his skill set lends itself to being a pressure fighter. So we'll see how that works out. And that kind of fighter is always interesting to watch as they develop, you know, when they've got this sort of clash between what they they're best at doing and what they instinctively seem to think they should be doing you know i like watching that kind of fighter develop it'll be interesting that chets was just you know a technically competent but basic bloke um he was supposed to lose but he was supposed to test him and that's exactly what happened like, we saw some flaws we saw some good things um yeah it was a uh, you know you're not going to go sit down and watch this fight over and over again if you're interested in what i've you know the kind of fighter i've just described go and watch some of it and, you know, look out for Agyako's future fights. I will say this. If he's looking for a world title, maybe um, he's in the wrong division to pick up an easy one as people fade out. If he's looking for a bunch of good fights, he's in absolutely the right division. And maybe I shouldn't be stacking him off for that. You know, it is absolutely um, a good mindset to test himself against these guys. So, you know, props him for that. Anyway, that's that for this card. So let's move on to the Texas card and start with... Um, yeah, Max Hayo versus Ray Vargas, um, which was another one I could feel slightly smug about because a lot of people, Vargas has not always been the most exciting fighter, and a lot of people were like, oh, he's just going to melt it door and it's going to be boring, or it could be boring. And I was like, you know, it could be. Um, you have to acknowledge that. But I did think that he was going to see enough holes in Max Hayo as he came forward to hold his ground and try to truck him as he came in and that is exactly what happened um to the point where he barely jabbed and maxio also barely jabbed it was quite odd in that respect and when they did jab it was almost more often on separation than it was on approach like um vargas did use sort of a measuring jab but it was you know really just sticking his hand out um maxio barely jabbed at all um especially early on i think they kind of took it out of each other and, you know, they sort of dissuaded each other from jabbing. They both did use jabs after exchanges to establish space, which I thought was interesting. Um, but anyway, yeah, the point being, um, 
Vargas's uh, game plan, he did surprise me a little bit, you know, I'm being smug, but he did surprise me a little bit in how much he punched first. Um, I expected him to let Maxeo come at him and fall into the gap, slide back and punch him, and he did do that. But he did also spend a lot of time seeking to dissuade Maxeo from moving at all by catching him first. He did that a lot with a um, lead left hook to the body and with a variety of right hands. But yeah, almost no jab at all. Like really, that lead left hook almost replaced the jab in terms of the keeping your distance setup stuff, which was you know an odd odd thing to see, but not you know not unfun. And um, Maxayo's approach was you know more or less what you'd expect. Again, didn't jab as much as you'd maybe think he would, really at all. But, um, but yeah, he'd be coming in. Um, you know, he he'd pop pop around in there. So we talk about him as an aggressive fighter, but you can tell. That uh, well, um, you can tell that he's that wild card. He can tell that he um, idolizes Pacquiao. In fact, you know this fight was kind of interesting because it kind of makes you appreciate just how good Juan Manuel Marquez again and, and Manny Pacquiao are. Because um, this fight was a Mexican fighter, kind of an outboxer, but a volume outboxer when he feels a need. Um, trained by Nacho Berenstein, fighting a Filipino fighter, trained by Freddie Roach who has an aggressive style, but raids in and out rather than being full on pressure. So it was very much a fighter in the style of Juan Manuel Marquez against a fighter in the style of Pacquiao. You can really see the flaws here. Like there are really, the difference in elite level was, um, you know, pretty high. And for Magsayo, the big problem is um, that uh, he tries to emulate that those aggressive, aggressive approaches. Um, firstly, the timing. Pacquiao's timing is excellent, whereas Maxayo got beaten to the punch, you know, by Vargas rather than Mayweather a lot. He got beaten to the move a lot. But even when he did move, and this is a big difference, Pacquiao, when he moves, uh, when he moved, you know, he'd look like he was doing really dangerous things, and to some extent they were risky. But, um, you know, he fought Marquez four times, and he only got caught really badly for it the once. Um not really fully intercepted. Um, his timing was incredible, and the position that he put himself into, this is the thing about Pacquiao. He looked to be insanely aggressive, but he was so good at taking up angles where his opponents couldn't cleanly catch him because they'd have to either punch through their own arm or turn while, you know, turn while they're punching. It was just uh, much, much safer than it looked to be at first glance, whereas um, Maxayo makes those explosive movements and lands in the most dangerous area. He lands sort of right in front of his opponent. He isn't moving past the zone of fire, which is what Pacquiao does. Um, he moves into it. You know, Pacquiao would almost basically take the first step into the zone of fire and then shoot through it, be on the other side. Whereas Maxayo just kind of lunges into it. And I would suggest that that was probably the main, that was one of the two main differences. Um, you know, it wasn't a, it was, you know, the way I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards describing as being more Vargas' fight than it probably ultimately was, just because Magsayo's mistakes are a bit more obvious. Vargas' mistakes are just kind of like, um, you know, he wrote, again, um, you know, relating back to something I just said about uh, Akiyako, Vargas relies on range as his defence, which is cool when he's being right out of range, and maybe this is, probably this is why people didn't expect him to fight the way he did. When he's in range, he doesn't really defend very, like, he doesn't really have that much head movement or a guard. 
Um, so he does get tagged when he's fighting in close. So his entire thing was about persuading Maxayo not to throw. And while he did do that, he didn't do it all the time. And he did get tagged, like, a lot. Um, Maxayo's, bit, yeah, Maxayo's first big problem was that thing about falling into the range. And the second problem is that he also doesn't know how to defend in the clinch, in close. Like, really, neither one of them is particularly good at it. But, um, but Vargas, once they are in close, Vargas has his hands kind of down, so he's kind of framed up to work the body and all that stuff a bit better. Um, Maxayo, um, you know, not so much. And so it could have been a different fight um, if they knew how to work the clinch, if even knew how to defend the clinch, and if Maxayo knew how to attack the clinch um, more than he did, um, because he was kind of just falling into it. Um, yeah. Um, the fight ended up scoring to... I didn't score the fight myself. It ended up going to Vargas, uh, but Maxayo did score a knockdown. That was basically the only time in the fight where Maxayo managed to beat Vargas to the punch, and he knocked him down from it. And I will say this, um, there was some terrifically bad fight IQ after that from Maxayo, because initially I think he thought Vargas was much more hurt than he really was, and he went full-on swinging for the fences for the rest of the round, trying to catch him, and he just kept running into the ropes, he just kept getting matted forward, and it's like, one time maybe you were allowed to try that, one time. You did it about five times in one round, you know, in the remains of the round, the it's, it's just what, what are you doing? I had to calm down and um, take your time, see how hurt he is, and then work from there. Then after that, he kind of dialed it back and fought exactly as if Vargas hadn't been hurt at all. And I think he was because he was stumbling a lot more. I don't know if he butted an eardrum. I mean, presumably he was just concussed. Um, but he he fell over once once more in the round where he got knocked down, and then. I think two or three times, definitely once, but he just snipped over or tripped over and his balance just wasn't as good. And that's a sure sign, you know, that your opponent is not quite there. Even if he's reacting properly and all of that, once he's doing that, you can goad him into mistakes. And Maxayo didn't just have really have any of that. And I think probably that's his main problem is he's not really reacting to anything that's in front of him. Like that's going to be his limitation, fighting at world level. We'll see, you know, because he lost a fight, he has to fight to go back to world level. So we'll see how that goes. But that will be his limitation, fighting at this level. Um, you know, I compared him, you know, he's clearly in the template of Pacquiao, but in that sense, he's a little like um, Carlos Cuadras. In that, yeah, I mean, he picks his punches depending on, you know, where he sees holes in that. But he isn't really reacting directly to anything that's happening. He's just kind of doing things. And and that's going to be a limitation at world level. It's going to make him hard against other guys, uh, you know, lower guys. Um, you know, he's hard to dissuade. Um, this was Vargas's problem even here. Um, you know, Vargas was seeking to, to, to dissuade him by beating him to the punch. But, you know, dissuade him in the, in the second, but he wouldn't stop doing what he was doing. He wasn't you know, Maxayo's game plan didn't alter because of what Vargas was doing, which to some extent, you know, did play into Vargas's hands because um, he, could, he could just keep doing it. But he certainly didn't um, get the probably desired result of constantly beating him to the punch, of making him think about it. It just didn't happen. Um, you know, he didn't slow down at all, which was partly what caused the knockdown and could have cost Vargas a fight. So it was, you know, it's an interesting combination, but essentially once you're in that zone of just not really reacting to what your opponent's doing 
yeah, there's only a certain level you're going to reach. And I think we've seen sort of peak Max Hayo. He, you know, he'll refine a few things. He's a Freddie Roach. Um, they'll work on things in the gym, but he's not going to be a hugely different fighter to what he was on Saturday. Um, well, I guess, you know, he moves on. The division he's in is featherweight. It's an interesting one because um, it doesn't have any sort of elite, elite level talent. But there's a lot of talent in it. And um, Figueroa was fighting on the undercard. That would be a perfectly good opponent for Vargas. Um, Gary Russell Jr. Um, you know, he lost to Maxayo, but he was clearly injured. I don't necessarily want him to win the belt back because he held it hostage for years, but he could well do that. Um, him versus uh, Vargas would not be a fight I'd predict to be exciting. But, um, you know, Emmanuel Navarrete, that would be a good fight. Mauricio Lara. I want Lara and Navarrete to fight each other, but again... Um, Vargas versus uh, Lara, not you know, not a bad fight. Lee Wood, um, I think he's sort of mandatory because he holds. Does he hold the regular? Uh, there's something with Leo Santa Cruz as well, who still holds a belt despite not having fought in the division for donkey's fucking years. Um, I think maybe Vargas is supposed to fight Santa Cruz. Figueroa is supposed to fight. I don't know, but Lee Wood's due a fight of some kind or other. Um, they were complaining about it afterwards, but yeah, he should be fighting Josh Warrington. You know, there's just. Fighters, you know, all the way down the list that are interesting for each other. Um, so Vargas has a lot of options. Um, he hasn't lost yet, but several of these guys could explode, expose the flaws that he has. You know, that if he doesn't keep, if he can't keep distance. So the thing is with Vargas, his footwork is good, but he this fight did expose that if he doesn't either chooses not to use his footwork to the full extent because presumably he thinks it would get overwhelmed, you know, that he has a better shot of using his volume to win the punch, win the fight. Or if his footwork just gets overwhelmed, because there are fighters here who could do that, you know, Figueroa for one. Um, I mean, he lost uh, to Fulton, um, but Vargas is no Fulton, and so Figueroa could well overwhelm him, overwhelm his you know, that um, distance closing thing. It's just, it's a really good division. So let's talk about that other fight in it. Um, yeah, Figueroa versus um, Carlos Castro. This was an interesting fight um, because it ex well, exposed Figueroa's difficulties and showed what he's good at. Like, he is a relentless pressure fighter. This is where he differs from Maxayo, um, who, you know, does raid and in and out and pause and all of that. Um, Figueroa just does not stop. And this kind of got him into trouble because Castro just was able to, you know, he didn't have to think about too much about the timing. He was just tagging him as he came in. What was interesting is that I think Figueroa is a very good inside fighter, but Castro was tagging him basically, not all the time, but early on especially, um, tagging him very hard on the inside. As the fight went on, that got harder and harder. Um, you know, I think he can score a lot of the early rounds for... Um, for, for for Castro, um, Castro was down in the third, but um, but the others he was very strong in. But you could see, as it went on, he just wasn't really able to live with the pace that Figueroa was setting. He was slowing down already. Um, he was reacting more and more with more and more difficulty to the shots coming at him. Um, he couldn't, you know, he had a neat defense early on, and he just. Not, it's starting to fall apart. Figueroa was finding the gaps in his defense more and more. Figueroa, you know, he's just really good at working things out, you know, in making it hectic and then working things out while it's hectic. Um, 
and Castro was just, you know, he looked snick early on and he wasn't able to live with the pace. Um, because Castro was so, had such a strong showing early on, the stoppage was controversial in some quarters because um, because Castro, you know, he wasn't hurt at all. Then suddenly he was stopped. Uh, he didn't go down. There wasn't an extent beat him. But, um, well, firstly, the referee explained himself. He just saw his eyes go unfocused. He wasn't responding properly to the punches coming at him. Yeah, makes sense. The referee's in the ring. He sees what he sees. The other thing is, he wasn't like hurt, hurt before. But like I say, when you look, I did have the benefit. I didn't watch this live, so I wasn't reacting in the moment. Um, yeah, he wasn't like, he didn't have his brain scumbled or anything, but you could see him starting to will. Like he was slowing down. He was reacting badly, worse, every time shots were coming at him. This wasn't out of nowhere. It was a combination of stuff. Um, and he possibly did, had made a mistake by, because in um, at the beginning of the final sequence, Castro had pinned Figueroa to the ropes, and then Figueroa spanned him and ended it. Um, but even when Figueroa was on the ropes with his back to the ropes, he was getting the better of the exchange, and then he spanned and ended the fight. Um, yeah, it was fun. I'd recommend watching it. Um, Figueroa is a player in this division. Um, he may well, he might be the best fighter in it. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, he does have many, many flaws. He's very, very hittable, but he's he's there. So that's cool. Um, the other fight on the card is... Well, there was lots of fights on the card, but the one I wanted to talk about was... Um, just very briefly, I'm not going to go into it, but Frank Martin against... Uh, Jackson Marunas. This is officially at 135. They're both weighed in above that. I, you do always get a little bit of grace when it's not a title fight. I think... Maybe this came as a catch rate because some marinas was late notice. I'm not sure about that. Um, but, uh, but at least for now, um, Frank Martin is officially, you know, campaigning at lightweight. So, so that's where we should think of him. And he's worth noting, you know, I don't know if he's going to rise to the top of the division. You know, he's 27, so he's not that young. Um, but he's cool. And what I like, you know, what's fun about him is he's a slick southpaw outboxer type guy. But he does look for the finish, and he did, you know, he got the finish here. He got a pretty stormy knockout right at the end, right in the 10th round. Mm. Yeah, he's just, it's just cool to see a guy who, he does do the, you know, he's got a really sharp jab, and he knows how to move, and he's, you know, sticks out for style. But then he steps in and tries to smack his opponent about, um, you know, when, when he sees it, when he sees the openings. Um, he has a place in this division, you know, is he going to reach a very top... You know, it's a strong division. Probably not, but, um, but he'll be trouble for a few guys, and it'll just be interesting to see. You know, I'm just saying, watch, watch, watch uh, Frank Martin. You know, he hasn't got a super load of hype. He hasn't been like a blue blue chip prospect, but um, he's got skills. He's going to be difficult. He knows what his strengths are, and he knows what he he knows the pitfalls to avoid of being that kind of style. I think is one of the reasons I like him. Is fighters with that kind of you know southpaw. Not necessarily southpaw, but often, um, but this you know counterpunching, rangy style. It's part of why I like Tete as well. Um, but Tete has his own. He can be aggressive, but he doesn't throw in volume as much as Martin does. Um, yeah, a lot of these fighters become too focused on just point move, point move, point move. And Martin will crack on and aggressively get in your face if he thinks that's there. So that's it's just cool. Um, yeah, there's not a lot more to say about that, I'm, you know, because I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> Full disclosure, I didn't watch the whole fight. I watched some of it and then, you know, the highlights, but, uh, but I didn't watch the whole fight. 
so so I wouldn't have too much to say even if I had, if I wanted to. But yeah, it was a decent, it was a good week of boxing. You know, there's nothing that's going to set your world on fire, but it was a good week of boxing. Next week is, well, I'll put it this way, I may not do a preview this week. There was a fight. It should be today. It may well already have happened. It hasn't happened as I record, but the timings being what they are, it probably will have happened by the time I um release this. Is Kazuto Yoko versus Don Yetes. It's a rematch at Junior Bantam at Light Bantam Weight. Um, that's for a title, Yoko's WBO title. Should be a decent fight, but you know, by the time I say this, it should have been a decent fight. Um, but obviously, I won't be covering that. Um, then the only real fight of the weekend. I mean, there is other stuff, but the only sort of major fighter is Ryan Garcia versus Javier Fortuna. Like, um, there is a British um, super middleweight title fight. The next card was Mark Kefron. Hamza Shiraz is on there. Uh, I don't know much about his opponent. Just, um, yeah, I may not do a preview for this week. Um, it's possible that I have the runner again. I'm sick at home again, so I do have more time. But, um, you know, I don't know how well I'm going to be. And it's just not that uh, that interesting weekend, you know. Um, we'll see. I'll see if I put out a fight. I, will, I should do a podcast, you know, assuming things don't completely go to go to go to shit. I should do a podcast about it afterwards. Um, but you know, you may not see a preview from me. Um, yeah, but I will see you next time. Um, you know, as always, follow me at Crafty Boxing. Follow on Twitter. Follow the fight site and the fight site. Read the fight site. We are seeking to gear up more and um, more and more text stuff again. Um, so you know, go on thefightsite.com. There's a hyphen in there um, between fight and site. Um, join our Patreon, or you can join our Discord, and uh, also get our little ex- exclusives um, for the patrons. And you know, I will. Other than that, see you next time.